Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. This is the word of the Lord. You can take the life of a man or a woman, godly man, godly woman, and you can hold that life up and you can spin it around and and look at it. Different times, different seasons, different situations. And you'll see that even for a godly man or a godly woman, There will be moments of doubt and depravity to such an extent that we could look at that from the outside and say, has that person ever had anything that resembles a saving encounter with the living God? No one, we think, born of God could blow it so bad. Yet in other moments, as you examine the life of the same person, spinning him around, looking at him in a different moment, a different season, a different circumstance, a time when faith is so strong and this resolute obedience is so fierce and so raw, we could think that if God were to require that same obedience of us, it would be better just to walk away. It's just too much. This is Abram's story. And it's our story. Would you join me in prayer as we study Genesis 22 together? Heavenly Father, I'm struck by the words we sung earlier about you leading us somewhere we don't want to go. Not if, but when that we would follow, that's really hard. This passage, this story is really hard. And yet alongside this, in this, through this, around this, mingled before, after, inside of this passage, would you show yourself as the one who provides, the one who is strong, the one who is there for his people? We pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. Twelve weeks ago, at the beginning of our summer sermon series, I said that the man called Abram, who became Abraham, is a big deal. Worldwide, around four billion religious people from the three biggest monotheistic religions trace their roots through him. Four billion people. Abraham is a big deal. This is precisely what God promised he would be. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we read this. You don't have to turn there, just hear it. We would have read it at the beginning of the series and referenced it many times, but just hear it now. It's the call of Abraham, who's just Abram at the time. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will make your name great, said the Lord. And the Lord did. The Lord has. 4,000 years after Abraham's death, we still talk of him and his greatness and the legacy of blessing that flows through him. We're drawn to this idea of greatness. We love great movies and great books, great athletes and musicians, great military generals and humanitarians, great presidents and educators and missionaries. We love greatness. But how was it? that God made Abraham's name great. Following God on the path to greatness involved altars. And altars involve sacrifice. God makes altars and sacrifices the path to greatness because God knows something about greatness that we often forget. Greatness is a dangerous blessing. Oh, it's a blessing, or it can be a blessing, but greatness, along with all the other blessings that come from God, can often become the greatest idols. And idols destroy us. An idol has been described as something, or, or, or really anything, that we would give our affection and allegiance to more than God. It doesn't have to be this little statue. It's, 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 it's about the idols of the heart, what we give our allegiance over to. And in this way, the blessings of God are not safe. They can become safe. But for us to enjoy them, for us to enjoy the blessings God would give us, something has to change. We have to change. Abraham had to change. And few things change us like altars and sacrifice. Now this, this could all sound so abstract, I know. I'll give you an example. The danger of blessings. In Pennsylvania, we require minors to pass tests and complete 65 hours of supervised driving before they're allowed to drive by themselves. Why? 
Because vehicles are a blessing. They're also dangerous. Vehicles can become safe, but other things must happen for that vehicle to become safe, for a blessing to become an actual blessing. I'll give you another example. I'm sure some of you here this morning, perhaps several of us, maybe we would use the word many this morning, are praying to God for financial provision. School loans come due. Credit card, just the debt, you can't seem to get to the minimum payment and it keeps getting bigger. Perhaps there's hospital bills that have gone unpaid and so on and so forth. So you need a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars. Great, seek the Lord for that. Work towards that. Seek God. But what happens tomorrow if you receive a hundred million dollars? That's a blessing, right? (laughs) Sure, sure it is. But really? What makes you different than the string of infamous people who win the lottery and then destroy their lives? The blessing of a great amount of money was not a blessing to them. What makes you different? Now, maybe you are different. Maybe you could handle that kind of money. If you won the lottery or God gave you that money in some other way, maybe you could handle that. But that proves my point, which is that something had to change. Something had to be different. We couldn't just be as we were to experience a great blessing and it not destroy us. Now, again, this can feel abstract, but here's... Where I'm going with this, we have to remember that something has to change for us to experience blessings as blessings and not idols. And one of God's most common ways of causing us to be shaped into the kind of people who can enjoy blessings rather than be destroyed by them is the way of altars and the way of sacrifice. This is Abraham's story and it's our story. Our passage this morning opened with the line... Hopefully you have it still open, Genesis 22. We'll be referring to it often, Genesis 22. It opens with the line, after these things, God tested Abraham. After what things, you say? <laughs> Some of you, are, you're new this morning, or um, if, even if you've been here every week, you've noticed we've skipped some things. Here, just right at the very end, A few weeks ago, we were in chapter 17, and this man called Abram, after being called Abram all summer long, finally became called Abraham, as Noah was preaching from Genesis 17. And this name Abram means the father of many, and now Abraham means exalted father. It's this kind of riff on this idea of being a father, but it's bigger and more grandiose. Finally, that happened in chapter 17. And within a year... Of chapter 17, Abraham and Sarah, they have this child of promise named Isaac. He's born in chapter 21, which we didn't cover. We moved on ahead so that we could get to the climax of the story here before the end of the summer. Maybe that's arbitrary, but that's what we did. But it all happened so quickly. For us and for Abraham, chapter 21 in the ESV Bibles that we're holding, like the heading for chapter 21 says the birth of Isaac, and then the heading for chapter 22 says the sacrifice of Isaac. Again, it it seems to us as it would have seemed to Abraham, no sooner is Isaac born than he will be sacrificed. After 25 years of waiting, boom, he has a kid. 
And then just as quickly, boom, child's life seems at risk. Let me read verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me, 22, 1 through 3. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, his other son had moved away, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. In a way, God had been preparing Abraham for this moment his whole life. As difficult as it can be for us to understand, um, God had blessed Abraham through altars and sacrifice. Early in Abraham's life, throughout his life, and at the end of his life, Abraham makes altars. Let me read you the places we're told about the altars he makes. Genesis 12, 7. After the Lord first appeared to him, we read, quote, So he built there an altar to the Lord. Very next verse, he travels further to the land God was showing him, and he builds another altar, quote, From there he moved to the hill country, and there he built an altar to the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 12, 8. After this, there's a famine in the land. Abram goes down to Egypt, and he meets Pharaoh. He's worried Pharaoh's going to kill him, take his wife. That doesn't happen. God intervenes. Abraham leaves, and after leaving Pharaoh, leaving Egypt, he comes back to the land of promise, and he needs to recalibrate, and we read, quote, and he journeyed on to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 13, 3 and 4. Later, in chapter 13, he builds another altar. We read, quote, By the oaks of Mamre, he built an altar to the Lord, Genesis 13, 18. These altars, along with the threefold sacrifice of leaving his country, great blessings from God are wonderful. But he knows that blessings from God can be dangerous if he is not related to those blessings by being rightly related to God. When we come to chapter 22, of course, we come to the biggest altar of them all. Listen to what the late pastor and author Timothy Keller has to say about this altar in his book, Counterfeit Gods. If God had not intervened, Abraham would have certainly come to love his son more than anything in the world if he did not already do so. That would have been idolatry, and all idolatry is destructive. 
Keller is saying that if Abraham's highest allegiance would have been to protect his son, it would have become destructive to him. That is, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, this blessing of God was potentially dangerous. If Abraham began to love the blessings from God more than God, then all those blessings would not have been, in the end, blessings. If Abraham became great, but he didn't love God more than he loved his own greatness, his own kingdom, then that would not have been a kind of blessing to him or to the world. It's not so hard to imagine, though, is it? We've seen parents who so love their kids, so love and so sacrifice for their children that their love, if we could call it that, for their children actually becomes warped and weird. In these homes, if a child doesn't overachieve, then the parent is not just unhappy and sad, but the parent's devastated. The same can happen with a career. When our careers or a certain relationship become not simply good things, but what we might call ultimate things, the blessing of a great career, the blessing of a great relationship, the blessing of money, the blessing of a great talent, the blessing of a great church and a pastor or whatever that might be, would ultimately become destructive. When blessings are ultimate, they're dangerous. But when God is ultimate, blessings can be blessings. And the way God gets Abraham to know that he knows that God is ultimate, what the passage later um, refers to as fearing God, is the way of sacrifice, the way of altars. Let me read those lines from Keller again, but then go a little further in the quote. If God had not intervened, Keller writes, Abraham would have certainly come to love his son more than anything in the world if he did not already do so. That would have been idolatry, and all idolatry is destructive. Then he adds, from this perspective, we see that God's extremely rough treatment of Abraham was actually merciful. Isaac was a wonderful gift to Abraham, but he was not safe to have and to hold until Abraham was willing to put God first, close quote. It could look like God is crushing Abraham when he's actually saving him. These are hard truths. I listened to a few sermons on this passage just trying to figure out, what in the world am I going to say? And one pastor said, good news, you're not Abraham. (laughs) I thought, that is good news. Amen. And then he added, if we were in this story, we'd probably be Abraham's second cousin or some neighbor who lives nearby. We ain't Abraham. God will never ask this of you, he told his church. I 100% agree. God will not ask this of you. Good news. Also, good news, God certainly commands this of us. At least in principle. And he does so because he loves us. Turn with me to a passage in the New Testament. This is Mark chapter 10. It's on page 794 of these pew Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 10. I want to go to another passage to show us something about the passage we're looking at. Mark chapter 10. We call this the story of the rich young man or the rich young ruler. 
I'm going to start reading in verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up. This is, man ran up to Jesus. And knelt before him and asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here, ran up, knelt. Here's some desperation. He's earnest. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he, this young man, said to him, Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Pause there. This is strange. We have Jesus here saying, It seems... You want to get to heaven, do good stuff. Or don't do bad stuff. Right? That's strange, right? Been around the church for a while, you're like, that's not how we, that's, it, it, that's not how that goes. No one knew more than Jesus, you don't do stuff to get to heaven. He does stuff like dying and rising so that we get to heaven. So what's going on? Perhaps Jesus is coming into his world, this man's conception of how he got saved, and then poking holes in it like a good counselor to find out where are your real idols? Where is your real allegiance? Look at verse 21, and if you don't mind, um, put your finger on the word love, loved. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This man's allegiance, his ultimate allegiance was not to God but to his money and therefore rather than money being a blessing to him, money was dangerous to him. Money controlled him. The thought of losing his money crushed him. He was going to have God forever in eternal life, but that wasn't enough. He wasn't fitted to enjoy money rightly because he was not yet rightly related to God. There was something in between his relationship with God. And so his great money was not safe and Jesus put an altar in this man's life as an opportunity to truly bless him. That's how Jesus is. And in this way, the rich young ruler was a, a kind of like an Abraham, or really an anti-Abraham. God will not ever offer or tell you to offer your children if you have children, as burnt offerings. He will never do that. This was very unique in all sorts of ways for all sorts of reasons. But God does love us so much that he will cause us through altars and sacrifices of perhaps different kinds and different things to remember that while blessings are blessings from God, they are also dangerous unless something inside of us changes, unless we become rightly related to God as our highest allegiance and our deepest devotion. In Christian terminology, we call this 
change, this rightly being related to God. We call this change conversion, followed by sanctification. To become rightly related to God is to recognize that we are sinners and need a Savior. It means to trust Him and love Him, even as He has loved us by taking away our punishment for sins. We need to be converted. And when that happens, God himself takes up residence inside of us, within us. And we start to become more and more like him. He begins to change us as we follow him, one step after the other, sometimes two steps forward, three steps back. But, but he begins to change us as we follow him, just as all summer long we begin. If you've been here and watched, we've seen Abraham change. He is not the same person he was so many years ago. It's the process of fearing God more and more, fearing the Lord in the right ways. It's the process of having our highest allegiance and reverence in God and God alone. And because God loves us so much, he's committed to seeing you follow him along the path of altars and sacrifice. Admittedly, it hurts. Sometimes, as Timothy Keller writes later in the book, quote, God seems to be killing us when he's actually saving us. This is Abraham's story, and it's our story. So I should ask the question, is there something God is telling you to put on the altar? Is there something in your life you're unwilling to put on the altar to worship God? This is a moment he's given you. This this, this moment here is God's grace to us. Has something taken the place of your highest allegiance to God? It may not mean, I want to clear up one sort of maybe potential question you have. It may not mean that what you love, this, this blessing you've received, it may not mean that you love that blessing less. It may mean that you love God more. It's not like you stop loving your family or your career or something else this talent he's given you, whatever gift it might be. Abraham didn't stop loving his son, but it means he had to love God more. What might that be for you? Well, this story, it, it, it's famous not only for altars and sacrifice. This story is also famous for God's provision. Not only do we see the call of Abraham to sacrifice, we also see the great, 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 great provision of God. When Isaac and Abraham walk toward the mountain, Isaac says, quote, this is verse 7, Behold the fire and the wood, but, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I've, I've seen you around altars, Dad. This is a thing for you. Then Abraham responds, quote, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. As people get older, they sometimes collect these sayings that they go back to again and again. They have sayings that become mottos, that become words to live by, and Abraham's word to live by was, the Lord will provide. And just as Abraham told his son this, it happens. In the very moment Abraham goes to offer his son. The angel of the Lord appears and says to him, just picking up verse 12, 13, and 14, he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes. We're going to come back to this next week. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and looked and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so, so Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord provided. So that's what Abraham names the mountain. Now we read the story and we have all kinds of questions, right? You have all kinds of questions. You are not alone. I am with you. I have all kinds of questions. I suppose four billion people who read the story honestly have some questions. But what we must note, this same Abraham, the real Abraham, the one who experienced this story in real time, when it came time to tell people forever what he learned about God, he did not name the mountain, the Lord will be cruel. He did not name the mountain, the Lord will steal your joy. No, he named the mountain, the Lord will provide. Because that's what he learned most. That's what he learned more deeply. And that's, I believe, what he would want you to know today. For all the questions, he surely had himself. And for all the questions, he expected others to have. His wife. The two men who went with him. For all those questions... What he wanted people to know, what he wanted strugglers and doubters to know, is the Lord will provide. And maybe that's the line. Maybe that's the line you need to hear this morning. You already feel like you're on the altar. You're you're already squeezed. You feel stretched. And what you need to hear is the Lord will provide. Just keep following him. Just keep trusting him. Maybe you're around people. Maybe they're here, maybe they're not here, but you're around people where you need to be the ones, you look them in the eyes and you say, the Lord will provide. Just keep following. I don't know how, I don't know when, it might be in eternity, but the Lord will provide. He sees, he knows. He's not cruel. He is not far off. Just stay faithful. Abraham could have never known all the ways the Lord would provide for his people, but he saw it and he knew it in principle. And the way that God most provides for his people is when God sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah 53. We're going to talk more about that briefly before we go into communion. But this is our second to last sermon in the Abraham series. I'll be preaching next week. We're going to come back. We're going to look at this passage again. And we're going to tease out something that actually shows up across his whole life, which is what it means to have spiritual eyes that look up to God. But that's next week. This week, I want to close in prayer and invite the worship team to come up and lead us in a song of response. And then I'll come back up and lead us in towards the Lord's supper together. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father,
It's not if, but when you lead us where we don't want to go. May you give us something that it can be so hard, so hard to know, is that when it hurts, when it's hard, you are good. And you haven't changed. And the clouds may be overhead, but the sun is still shining. Help us to get there this morning by your grace and by your power.